0: Isn't that so simple? We as Christians, we have two commands that Christ said, I want you to follow these commands. I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and I want you to love your neighbor. I just pray that uh, we can be better at loving our neighbor, that we can be better at loving those around us, and not just going through life with our blinders on, not going through life just focused on me, because I'm important, man. I'm important. I got a lot going on in my life. Hopefully we go through life and we take off the blinders. Hopefully we go through life and it's not all about me, but we focus on others. Church, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to get into the message this morning. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. And I pray that gosh, they, they took the time to be here this morning, and I pray that you would speak to them and you would bless them for that. I pray that their being here would not be a waste of time, that their being here would be beneficial not only to their spiritual walk, but also to their daily walk practically, just day in and day out. I pray that they would be better because they have been here this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to the hearts, to the minds, to the lives of people this morning. And I pray that you would use your word to accomplish great and mighty things in our midst. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Today, as we conclude our all-out series, I just want us uh, to take a moment to kind of recap, to remind you of where we've been in this series. And We started out week one, and the title of the message was an aircraft carrier, and we gave an illustration about how churches can look like different ships, and we talked about how some churches look like a cruise liner, where people walk in and they say, where's my martini, and where are my benefits, what do you have to offer me, I want to sit on the deck by the pool, and you entertain me, you take care of all my needs, this is a cruise liner, right, that's not what God intends for his church. We also talked about how some churches are like battleships. Man, they're against everything. They're always fighting against everything, and usually they're fighting within the church. And then we talked about how God wants us to be an aircraft carrier, where people come in, they gather like you're gathering right now, they get their tanks filled up, they get equipped, and then they are sent out from these walls, they are sent out from this building to go and to minister to uh, to those around them, to their neighbors. And we talked about how we really want to be an aircraft carrier. We want to be a place where people come in, and then they are sent out. A place where they can get into the family of God, a place where they are grown up in their faith, and then they go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the vision of Grace Church. We also talked about the fact that everyone is called to be ministers. You may be sitting here this morning, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're like, man, That's what I pay you for. You're the paid professional. That's not how it works. You are called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, everyone is called who is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just the pastors or the paid professionals. And then uh, week four of the series, we talked about the difference between a missional church and an attractional church. You know, churches that just want to try to fill every seat. They try to attract everyone in so they can hear the gospel. Or churches that are always just focused on going out and we said the answer is yes. We want to be both. We want to be a place where people are drawn in. And we also want to be a place that is going out and blessing our community. On Labor Day weekend, just re- recapping, reminding you, we did a Love This Town Sunday. We were able to complete seven projects. Okay, We didn't have a regular service. We just gathered and then we went out from this place. We completed seven projects around our community. And it was a great weekend of service. And then uh, part six of the series, we learned that the church is not an audience to be entertained. That's not my job. That's not what I am commissioned or called to do is to entertain or to try to get you to come back next Sunday. My job is to equip you, to prepare you. And sometimes uh, that means saying hard things. Uh, and uh, I believe that God accomplishes this through good, godly leadership. And that was a message a couple Sundays ago is one of our core values at Grace Church is Leadership. We believe it's vital, it's important. And when we think about leadership, a lot of us think about worldly leadership. We think about uh, a lord or a boss or someone who um, is in control of people. That is not what we intend. We want godly servant leadership. People who are following after the spirit of God, who are following after after Jesus Christ, and they are serving. They're more like this. Man, they are serving, looking for um, how God can use them god is going to use leaders he always has throughout all of scripture he uses men he uses women to lead and to um, uh, to lead people to himself and then last sunday we talked about our win our win as a church if you can understand it this way if if we're climbing a mountain the peak of the mountain the peak of the mountaintop is to be disciples of jesus who make other disciples of jesus that's the win for grace church and today, we're finishing up this series, and we're going to be talking about risk. It's wrong, church, not to risk. From the very beginning, let me remind us all that uh, all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, all of us who name the name of Jesus, that risk is actually required. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have to take risk. You will not be comfortable with. If you are comfortable, we're going to teach you to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's our goal. That's our desire. Because it is wrong not to risk when you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you plan to truly follow Jesus with your life, mark it down. You will be called upon by the Holy Spirit of God to take some risk. You will be. Let's start by looking at a parable in the book of Matthew. and I want us to start the sermon by looking at Matthew chapter 25. And in this chapter, Jesus tells the story of a rich boss who left behind different sums of money for his servants to invest. And I believe he did this to prove a point that taking risks is a necessary piece of true discipleship. Okay, So to one servant in this story, let me just set it up and then we'll read it. To one servant, he gave five bags of silver. To another, he gave two bags of silver. And to the third servant, he gave one bag of silver. Now, a bag of silver was a very large sum of money in this day. One bag was about 20 years' worth of salary. So to one man, he gave one bag of silver. In our terms, it would be about a million bucks, okay? So to one man, he gave one bag. He gave $1 million. To another, he doubled that. He gave $2 million. And to another, he gave five bags. He gave $5 million. And let's start reading. In Matthew chapter 25 verses 16 through 18, it says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. Verse 17, the servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. So the one with the five million, he turned it into ten. The one with the two million, he turned it into four. And when the master returned, he praised these first two servants. And he praised them for their wise investment of his resources. He he congratulated them, he praised them. But listen to what he said to the servant who buried his bag of silver. Listen to Matthew chapter 25, verses 26 through 30. But the master replied. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this use, useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, seems harsh. A couple things I want to point out about this parable that really grabbed my attention. First of all, Jesus praised the first two servants for taking risks with his money. These two servants invested his money and it means they could have lost it. When you invest something, there's no guarantee on a return. You're taking a risk. And Jesus, or the master, he praised these two men for taking such risks. Jesus didn't say to him, hey, what were you thinking? Like, are you crazy? What, why did you do that with my money? Instead, he praised them. Now, the second thing about this parable that really gripped me, that really grabbed my attention is Jesus called this last servant the one who didn't take any risk the one who buried his bag of silver he called him wicked wicked Man, what, what did this servant do that was so wrong Like, why was he wicked he didn't steal the master's money he didn't blow the money on prostitutes or gambling or extravagant vacations in fact This servant hadn't spent a single penny on himself. The last servant returned 100% of what he had been given by the master. And Jesus called him wicked. Many of us think that wickedness is something that we do, which it is. It can be. But according to this parable, wickedness can also be something we don't do. The question isn't simply whether or not you've done bad things. The question is whether or not you've done the right things with the good things God has given you. So let me let me do something with this parable. Most Most of the time this parable is applied to individuals, to us, in our personal daily walk. But let me do something different. Let me apply this parable to churches. Let me apply it to Grace Church. Throughout this series, we've talked that most churches tend to judge their success by their size. They, they spend the largest part of their budget on growing their congregation. But what if Jesus looked at it differently? What if he saw our, resistant, our resistance to send people out, our resistance to send out our best leaders or to give our best resources? What if he looked at our resistance or of our, we're trying to hold it all together or hoard it. What if he looked at it as wickedness or like burying our bag of silver? You see, God has given Grace Church resources. He's given us resources, he, he's given us people, he's given us uh, leaders, he's given the church some money, he's given the church some land. Now, here's my question. Are we, speaking of us, Grace Church, are we taking any risks with the resources that God has given us? Or are we just playing it safe? Just showing up week after week? And Justin's like, okay on the drums, his sermons are even worse. But you know what? I'm comfortable because I'm just living the American dream. Are we burying our treasure so at the end of time we can stand before the master and say, Master, we didn't lose anything. Here's here's 100% of what you gave us. We are debt-free, Master. We didn't lose a single thing. Every penny's accounted for. All the people are comfortable in their little church. Master, are you happy? Master, we've been good stewards, right? What if God says... You are wicked. You see, sending people out, giving up some of our best people, living out extreme generosity, giving of our time, our resources, our money, going out, it's costly. It's very risky. But we must do it, church. We must take risks with the resources that God has given us. We must. We must because the Master has told us to invest what He has given us to send it out into the field so it can multiply. Remember, this material thing money, land, buildings, all that stuff it's unrighteous mammon. It has no eternal, it's not going to matter in eternity. What matters is the souls of men and women and children. And we better stop using people and loving money, and we better start loving people and using money. Using money to bring people to Jesus Christ, doing everything in our power to see souls transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me remind us that the greatest resources of all are people. That's why people are part of the two greatest commands. God says, love me and love people. Please. And Let me just... hey okay, man, this is starting out like kind of like that, right? Let me back up and say, Grace Church is doing a lot of things right. Grace Church is sending teams of people to Mexico. We're sending teams and money to South Africa. We're sending teams of people to minister to the homeless, to serve in our own community. Some have even heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit to plant a church where there are none. Many of us are taking risks to share our faith with our circles of influence. But here's the challenge, here's the tension that exists. And it's this, what if people leave Grace Church to be missionaries? What if God calls some of our best leaders to leave Grace Church, to go to other parts of the world, to start churches, to to be a missionary? What if we send all these people out and they're not replaced? What if God takes some of our biggest financial givers? What if he takes them out and they're not replaced? What if no one steps into the gaps that these people are sure to leave? What if... No givers step up to replace the money that these folks are giving. You know, honestly, it's, it's it's a mountain of what ifs. What if God calls our best people? What if people aren't replaced? What if we actually get smaller as a church because so many people are going out? What if, what if, what if? But these are the risks we have to take. We have to. Not to take these kind of risks would be wicked. And here's something else. Not taking these kinds of risks actually guarantees our failure. Let me, let me be lovingly blunt. And I'm, I'm saying this as kindly as I know how. But most churches today, most churches are filled with a bunch of gray heads. Okay? I'm getting some gray too. I'm not picking on gray heads. The problem is so many churches have been so unwilling to change, so unwilling to do something different, so unwilling to follow the Holy Spirit of God that the younger generation, church, come on, man. Our country, the statistics are proving less and less young people are, are coming to church. The church is shrinking, the church is dying. And I'm just lovingly trying to say, come on, let's 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 buck the trend. Let's let's be not afraid. Let's be willing to take risks. Let's do some things that the church has never done. That's not contrary to the word of God. It's not contrary to the Holy Spirit of God's leading in our life. But let's do everything in our power so that the younger generations will come to faith. So that the church will live on. And yes, Jesus is building his church. The church will survive. I'm confident in this. But I believe he uses people. He uses leaders. He uses churches to do that. Man, taking risks for God is very dangerous, yes. But not risking is even more dangerous. Look at John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. It says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Hey, sometimes I don't like reading the red letters in the Bible. I have to be honest with you. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. If we hold on to our resources, our leaders, our power, our money, we will surely lose it all. And I truly believe that God will bless our church more and more as we invest resources, the resources that we've been given, if we hold them loosely and we say, God, God gives, God takes away. Man, we just want to be available. We want want you to funnel resources through us, God, but we, we are holding them loosely so that you can do with them as you please. God will bless more and more as we devote ourselves to sending disciples who make other disciples. Check out 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 through 15. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will uh, result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. Be like the needs... Of the people in Durango, Bayfield, La Plata County will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Verse 13, as a result of your ministry, now this is the ministry of giving or the ministry of sending people out, they will give glory to God for your generosity. This generosity is your life, your time, your money. Generosity is not just money. Okay? It's, it's so much more than that. For your generosity to them and to all. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for You know, the only problem is this. Every time we are led to give in a significant way, every time the Holy Spirit prompts us or whispers in our ear and says, hey, I want you to give your time. I want you to give your talents. I want you to give resources. We face this fear. I have faced this. Every time God has led me to do something crazy, risky, here's the fear. And maybe you can relate with it. Maybe this time it's not going to work out. If I take this step and I give this resource or I give my time, Maybe it's not going to work out this time. If I do this, my needs are not going to be met. If I go, if I give, if I take this risk, it it may not work out. Here's the tension. Here's the truth. The kingdom of God advances, it moves forward through risk. That's how it moves forward. Without risk, The kingdom of God does not advance. It doesn't go forward. And we see this all throughout Scripture. The kingdom of God advances through risk with no guarantee of safety or a payoff. And let me just show you a few examples from the the Scriptures, okay? Consider King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he took on Goliath, David took a huge risk and we don't see any guarantee in scripture that he would get the victory. We don't see any guarantee that God said, David, face Goliath, and you're gonna you're gonna plant a stone right in his forehead, and he's gonna kill over dead, and then you're gonna chop his head off, it's gonna be good. We don't see anywhere where that guarantee was made. David simply found himself in a place looking at an enemy giant that everyone else was too afraid to fight. And in faith, he picked up five smooth smooth stones, the scripture says, and he trusted God to bring the victory. And here's little David standing right in front of big Goliath with faith, with confidence. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he took the risk. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These three friends stood up and they defied a powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar. This king had commanded everyone to bow down and worship a, a false idol that he had built. And he said, if you bow down, I'm sorry, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. You're going to turn to ash. Nowhere in Scripture do we see where God told these three, and these, these three young men were college age, okay? <clears throat> in their early, or in their late uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, Nowhere do we see a guarantee that these men were going to make it. In fact, their response to the king showed a mixture of confidence and concern. Look at Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. First of all, we see confidence. We see faith. These men replied to the king and they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And that is great confidence. That is great faith. But look at verse 18. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> wait, what? <clears throat> Their deliverance wasn't guaranteed? They say, even if God chooses not to deliver us, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty. I think it was said that way too, your majesty that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Wow! That's incredible. There was no guarantee that God was going to deliver them. God gave them no assurance that they would walk out of the furnace. Their faith required them to take a risk, and God delivered them. What about Queen Esther? We know the story of Queen Esther. She took a risk. She pleaded for the deliverance of her people before King Artaxerxes. She had no idea what his response would be. And remember, this king had a reputation of lopping people's heads off. Okay, if he was grumpy, off with their head. But Esther knew if there was going to be any hope for her people, she would have to take a risk. She was going to have to. Listen to what she said to her uncle Mordecai. These words are just absolutely amazing. Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. But if I don't take this risk, all of my people are going to die. Finally, consider the Apostle Paul's life. Paul's life was one risk after another one risk after another. Check out these examples in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 24. He says, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I don't know what the future holds. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul knew he was going to have some persecution he knew he was going to be put in prison he knew it was against the law to preach the gospel of jesus christ verse 24 but i do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only i may finish my course in the ministry that i have received from the lord jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of god it's incredible Count my life as nothing. I just want—I want people to know Jesus, and that's—that's that's the heart church that we want. That's what we want for you. We want you to have that desire for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors to know Jesus. You know, many of us we want guarantees. It's the way kind of the world works, right? I do this, I want to guarantee that you're going to do that. I want to guarantee the church, that's not how it works, and that's why it's called faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And without risk, the kingdom of God does not advance. And I know I'm preaching this message with some passion. Church, I, can I just and try to relate with you right now and say, I know it's not easy. I know it's not We are so... Gosh, in our company, we spend lots of money to try to minimize risk. And God is calling us to take risks. Okay, I have to read one more example from Paul's life because it's that cool. Alright, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 through 28. He says this, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned this is with rocks I know we live in Durango this isn't the stone that you're thinking about this is with rocks three times I was shipwrecked once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea I have traveled on many long journeys I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers I have faced danger from my own people the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers. Those are the hardest ones right there, I have, to, I have to be honest. But they're not believers. Verse 27 I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, as if this were not enough, besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern. He's talking about emotional well-being. Mentally, his, his space is full with the concern of all the churches. John Piper, he puts it this way. He says, it is the will of God that we be uncertain about how life on this earth will turn out. And it is also the will of God that we take risks for the cause of God. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the future. But it is God's will that we take risks for the cause of God. You know, for some of us, maybe this all sounds adventuresome. It sounds challenging. Maybe for some, it sounds like a mountain that we want to climb. Maybe you feel really inspired right now. But I know for many others... It, may be, it, just, it might just sound really scary. Now let me encourage you with this. Every risk that we take as followers of Jesus Christ must begin with confidence in the goodness and the trustworthiness of God. To take a risk for God, you have to trust God. The third servant in this parable didn't trust in the master's goodness. Matthew 25, 24 through 25 says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. He didn't trust in the master's goodness. Now, the other two servants, they knew their master was good. They knew that their master could handle any mistakes that they made in the pursuit of their risk their investment. In order to risk, you have to trust God. In J.D. Greer's book, Gaining by Losing, he tells a story that I want to close this sermon out with this morning. Because another reality that we have to understand in taking risks is this. You can never ask too much of God. He tells this story about Alexander the Great and I want to share it with you. The story is told that Alexander the Great had a general who approached him after many years of service and asked him if he would pay for the wedding of his daughter. Alexander agreed and told him to obtain the funds necessary from the treasurer for the wedding. Soon thereafter, the treasurer came to Alexander complaining that this general was taking advantage of Alexander's generosity. This general was asking for an exorbitant amount of money, enough to host the largest wedding that Greece had ever seen. Alexander thought about the situation for a moment and then he waved his hand decisively and he said to his treasurer, grant him his request in full. Give him everything he asks for. And the treasurer looked at him like confused and Alexander continued, And he said, my general pays me two compliments. He believes, first of all, that I'm rich enough to afford his request. And secondly, he believes that I am generous enough to grant it. In assuming these two things, he honors me. Church, let me just say, our God is honored when we come to him with large prayers. We don't offend him. Because he's rich enough and he is generous enough. We don't offend him with large prayers. We offend him with small ones. We can never ask or assume too much of him. He's God. And do we really believe in the power of God? Do we really believe this? Church, let me just remind you that the stakes are sky high. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell, and people will spend eternity somewhere. We must be willing to take risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the will of God. It's wrong not to risk. And let me encourage you. It's worth the risk. I'm going to close in prayer, and Pastor Chris is going to come and close this out with a few announcements this morning. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And I guess, like the Apostle Paul, many times when he asked for prayer, he would ask the people in the churches that he pastored to pray for boldness for him and for courage. And I just pray right now for boldness over the people of Grace Church. Not a in-your-face harsh, unloving boldness, but a A loving, kind, respectful boldness. And I also just pray for courage. I pray that they would be willing to take risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those risks are just like we saw in the video. Sometimes it's as simple as just going across the street and saying, hey, can I introduce myself to you? Sometimes that's so scary. (laughs) And I believe the enemy makes it more scary than it is. Help us to be willing to take those kind of risks, to reach out to our neighbors, invite them into our home, to build relationships so that they ultimately can hear the gospel and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for many salvations, Father. I pray that you would send many people out Gosh, this is weird praying this. I pray that you would send many people out from our church, that you would take our best leaders, you would take our best resources, and you would do whatever you need to do to advance your Pray that we wouldn't hoard them, that we wouldn't hold too tightly. Amen. Amen.